Chief Justice, the police of the court. You know that story about the porta potty? Well, I've got a story of my own. Or I once stole a fire hydrant too, which which always blows my mind. Like those things weigh like two hundred pounds. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Let's try asking a simple question. Are you ready? Who is a criminal? What does that word criminal even mean? Is a criminal anyone who's ever committed a crime? Or just people who have been arrested, or convicted, or gone to jail? This is a really important question because somewhere between a quarter and a third of all Americans have criminal records. So how you answer it and how employers and colleges and social service agencies answer it has huge effects on many people's lives. And those effects, as you might imagine, vary widely according to race and class and geography. So who is a criminal? We sent Nicole Pasulka to find out. We all commit little crimes all the time. We speed. We jaywalk. We drive home a little tipsy. Think back to your teenage years. Did you ever shoplift? Get into a fight? Do illegal drugs? Khalil Cumberbatch grew up in a tough neighborhood in Queens, New York. At age 19, he'd graduated high school, unlike a lot of the guys he grew up with. Then, out with his friends one night, he made a really bad decision. You know, I had three friends I was really close with that we committed a robbery of two women in Manhattan in November of 2002. He got caught and went to prison. I was sentenced to 11 years of imprisonment. While he was there, Cumberbatch turned himself around. He got involved in all the educational programs, did ER college, trained to be an HIV-AIDS educator, and became somebody that other prisoners looked up to. When he got out in 2010, he wanted to become a social worker and help people coming out of neighborhoods like his. He applied to one college, Empire State in Saratoga, New York. It's a state school. But the application had that one little checkbox asking, have you ever been convicted of a felony? So once I disclosed that I had a felony conviction, they required a supplementary process where I had to supply more information. I had to supply two letters of recommendations. I had to supply a letter from my parole officer. I had to supply a complete criminal history report. I had to supply an essay on why I felt that at that point in my life I wanted to access higher education. Even after a person supplies all of this information, it's still up to the discretion of the school and the administrators to deny or accept a person. In the United States, somewhere between 70 and 100 million people have a criminal record. That's a quarter to a third of all adults. People of color are punished for crimes at much higher rates than white Americans, even crimes that whites and people of color commit at the same rate. There's a disparity in who ends up being punished and who ends up with a criminal record. And once you've got that record, it just keeps going. Uh, my, my clients were getting kicked out of school or losing housing or losing their professional licensure based on any one of the particular pleas that, that I, I may have helped them through in, in court. 
As a public defender, Emily Baxter represented people against charges like drug possession, theft, or assault. And she says that even when people didn't serve jail time, for example, if they settled their case by pleading guilty to a lesser crime, they'd often end up with a record. Not everybody who does the the crime does the time. And those who do the time, there isn't an end right now. The the punishment continues for all eternity and, and affects nearly every conceivable aspect of one's life, from personal to professional, from psychological to social. Nobody signs up for, for that kind of relentless punishment. To Baxter, this felt like a systemic problem rather than a few isolated incidents in which people were dragged down by their rap sheets. So she started working in policy. One of the things she wanted to do was convince people not to penalize or withhold opportunities from people with criminal records who'd served their sentences. I, I was speaking to landlords and and licensing boards and employers and the general public, anybody who might have been in a position of decision-making authority that could have influenced my clients' lives. And time and time again, I I heard from these decision-makers that you can't trust a con or once a criminal, always a criminal. So Emily Baxter did two things. First, she started talking to people, everybody she met, about the little crimes they committed and got away with. She got back a wealth of stories about the crazy, random, often dangerous crimes people do and don't get caught. Someone told her about stealing a fire hydrant. Another woman confessed that as a teenager, she torched a porta potty. Then she collected these confessions on a website called We Are All Criminals and juxtaposed them with stories of people who committed similar crimes but were caught. When she gave presentations to cops, prosecutors, government officials, whoever, she'd tell these stories and say, hey, most of us are criminals even if we've never been arrested. Afterwards, members of the audience would slowly start to accept what she was saying because she was right, at least about some of them. Yeah, I just can't tell you how many people have come up afterwards and said, <laughs> That's, you know that story about the porta potty Well, I've got a story of my own. Or I once stole a fire hydrant too, <laughs> which, which always blows my mind. Like those things weigh like 200 pounds. Sold eighths of marijuana. I punched him as hard as I possibly could in the ear. So I took the, took the gun and didn't really think about it, and I brought it out of me when I went to school. And I stole a lot of other stuff, but sort of more of the adolescent variety, you know, uh, nail polish or bangles or records even sometimes, which are kind of hard to steal. For several years, I, I used meth on a daily basis if I could. If given the opportunity, we would sell um, acid to buy more meth, um, really didn't have any concerns with uh, the consequences or whether I'd live through the night or... This is someone Emily Baxter interviewed. That's not his real voice. He he did sober up. He is now in... Uh, he's now a correctional officer, and he now works with people who, who are going through a very similar time in their lives to what he had experienced. Now, the big difference is that he was never caught, right? So he's in this position where he has been able to navigate both the educational system and the professional system unscathed by his past um, acts. Emily Baxter tells stories like these alongside stories of people who have gotten caught. People like Jerome Graham, who was selling drugs in his car when police stopped him. Back about 10 years ago, uh, I was getting a lot of pressure uh, to provide for my family, and I got involved in some drug dealing uh, they charged me with a felony fleeing of a peace officer um, in a motor vehicle. Charged me with a felony 
controlled uh, substance, cocaine, uh, fifth degree. I started looking for jobs while I was awaiting a trial and and in between court dates. I got hired at the gas station. What well, was on the application? And it asked you, have you had a felony conviction? I said no, because obviously I didn't have a conviction. Two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail saying I'm disqualified from the position because of felony arrest. Graham's case took about eight months to work its way through the courts. In the end, the judge gave him three years probation, not a conviction, and a way to clear his name after. But that didn't seem to matter. This arrest and the the multiple charges from this case were still on my record during the time of probation. And most employers viewed that as just as bad as a conviction. Even with his degree in psychology from a prestigious university, Graham was disqualified from job after job after job because of the background check. During that time, uh, I, I kind of I was broken a little bit uh, spiritually, and I was fighting with that because I felt like, wow, this is really my only option. Um, going out here and selling drugs or, or doing something illegal seems like the only option I have since these jobs won't hire me. Uh, because of his background now. It's not just arrests and convictions that change the course of people's lives. Sometimes even one encounter with the police can have major consequences. And as we know from so many recent events, those encounters can go down very differently for white people than they do for people of color. Here's another story Baxter collected. Picture being told by a middle-aged white hiring manager. As a teenager, this hiring manager and his friends imagined themselves budding film directors they actually got together to shoot a feature film, a heist movie. Part of the, the film, uh, we were going to rob a bank. And without thinking a lot about it, we staged a bank robbery with replica firearms and uh, a suitcase full of fake money and stocking masks kind of pulled down over people's heads. And we filmed that right across the street from the bank. Four squads pulled up right in the alley, the kind of three different directions they came at us. They had their guns out and they started yelling at us, you know, drop the gun, drop the gun. The cops swarmed them, yelled at them for a few minutes, and then allowed them to continue filming. I think about the number of kids who are playing with replica guns in the park and not across the street from a bank. There could have been a real tragedy that day. If the hiring manager hadn't been white, it's easy to imagine what might have gone down that day. We just have to look at what happened in Cleveland about a year ago when police shot and killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice. And breaking news on Cleveland's west side, a 12-year-old boy shot by police after the boy pulled a BB gun out of his waistband. If the police had pressed charges, I mean, if they'd been creative, I would have had a very different life. And that, again, and yet grateful not to be shot. It would be hard to be a, well, it would have been a long time before I could be a licensed social worker working with kids. This project says that there aren't two distinct categories of human beings. There aren't these two mutually exclusive boxes of clean and criminal. Uh, But rather, we're all human and we've all violated the law and we all deserve that second chance. With some grit and a lot of paperwork... Jerome Graham and Khalil Cumberbatch, who was in prison for armed robbery, have actually managed to move past their records. 
Graham works for a nonprofit that helps people coming out of prison, and people with records get jobs and skills. And Cumberbatch is a policy advocate. He sometimes finds himself across the table with representatives from the mayor's office. They're out there every day talking about how the label of criminal has as much to do with who you are as what you've done. There's a lot of people that probably done similar crimes that I've done or even different or worse, and they've never been caught for them. And they don't, so, so technically our society is not going to call them a criminal. So the, the question is, are you only a criminal if you get caught? For Life of the Law, I'm Nicole Pasolka. And I'm Nancy Mullane. This episode of Life of the Law was reported by Nicole Pasulka and edited by Ben Adair. Caitlin Press designed the sound and produced the story with assistance from Kirsten Jesuits Heidel. Seal Muller is our engineer. Life of the Law is a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the Infinite Guest Network of Podcasts from American Public Media. You can hear all of our episodes at infiniteguest.org, lifeofthelaw.org, iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like your public radio station to air Life of the Law's stories on their airwaves, let the station know they can get access to all of our episodes on PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by grants from the Open Society Foundation, the Law and Society Association, the Proteus Fund, and the National Science Foundation. Your valuable donations help us cover the direct cost of production. So take a minute and visit our website. There's a donate button right there at the top right corner. This week, we'd like to thank a few of our supporters. Dion Woods, Brian Lim, Austin Bauer, Tim Gannett, Martha Fisher, Cheryl Rosen, Brittany Botorf, and Michael Beauvais. Next week on our sister podcast, Live Law. When I was incarcerated, I had no intention on uh, falling in love or being in love. It wasn't very high on my list of priorities. I wasn't looking for it at all. Uh, However, I was doing what I could do to prepare myself for whatever came looking for me. That's next week on Live Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.